You're listening to sermons from La Cunada Congregational Church and Pastor Kyle Sears. Join us in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. in La Cunada for worship. You can find more information about our church online at lacanadachurch.org. So each week across America and even the world now, small groups of people gather together. And in this gathering, they often will center their focus on a book that is filled with stories and guidelines on how they might navigate the world in which their imagination comes alive. Some of these rules are complicated. Some of them sometimes describe situations that no one in today's world would find themselves in. And yet, these people who gather weekly take these rules very seriously. They dress in robes and sing songs inspired by these stories. Um, Of course, I'm talking about people who play Dungeons and Dragons every week, gathered around this player's handbook that stands at 320 pages filled with history and lore and stories and color that that cause some people to dress up and put on funny accents. I I never do that, y'all. I'm not that big of a geek. but, but if you add the other handbooks and modifications and stories, you have thousands and thousands of pages that are now in its fifth edition of new rules of how to play this game. And sometimes those rules can seem overwhelming, but the authors have established this one basic rule that guides the rest of whatever happens at the table. And that is often called the rule of cool. It means just have fun. And if it sounds cool, try to figure out some way to do it. And that means that every group as it gathers around the table comes up with its own house rules that bypass the rules of the game as they're written in order for the group to have more fun. We do this with normal games too. You know, you you change the rules of Monopoly so that if you land on uh, the free parking, you get all the cash in the middle of the board or something like that. Or in tag, you have the rule that there's no touchbacks or no tagbacks. You have to go and run somewhere else. It, It makes the game more fun and often when we enter into the rules that God has established for us, we forget the core basic calling within these rules. And sometimes we find ourselves either frustrated by what we read or disconnected to the point where we don't even listen. But the book of James is written to remind us about how house rules are meant to work, how the household of God is meant to gather together. And the book as a whole can read like instructions, a lot of do this and don't do that, pithy sayings designed to help us navigate these strange new worlds of faith in which at the time they were a minority. And, And these instructions as we go through the book of James seem to jump from one idea to the next, but at its core, the close reading shows us that James's primary guideline that moves us into a life of faith is that love is the best rule we have. And so I'd like to read uh, from James chapter one, verse 17 through 27. We'll spend the next five weeks exploring these uh, ways that James is showing Christians how they might love well. James writes, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of God's own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits for his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness, God's justice. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves, 
For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they're like someone who looks at themselves in a mirror. They look at themselves and on going away, they immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If anyone thinks they're religious and don't bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so James's main argument as he moves into this first part of his writing is that every good thing in life finds its source in God. And that goodness flows from God to us, this natural movement that transforms us so that we could bear then that goodness to the world around us. That we are these intermediaries that pass God's grace upon other people. God generously gives, it's this constant source of light that shines upon us that we might see where our next feet should go. And so when we find ourselves occasionally shrouded by doubt or misery or that little twitch in our eye when we get stressed out, the idea is that we can look to God to guide us as we reflect upon our circumstances. There are countless stories of people who find hope in listening to God and finding God's graciousness helps by by finding ways that we can be grateful for what God has given, as we can look to the gifts and recognize that every good thing we have is a gift given to us by God, it allows us to continue to move forward instead of being overwhelmed with doubt and uncertainty. But it's natural in our understanding of that portion to then slip into a misunderstanding of what faith is meant to do. James says that God is the source of everything good and so that we should listen to God. We should be slow to speak so that the word of God can grow and develop and give birth to God's goodness. So much so that in the birthing of that, our very souls would be saved. And so it's easy to imagine that God's intent is that we would just bask in God's heavenly light, that the warming glow of God's goodness is all that we need. And that as we feel God's good vibes given to us, that we've reached the pinnacle of what it means to be a person of faith. That our happiness and fulfillment and contentment is all that these rules are for. And as long as I'm doing good, then I must be doing what's right by God. We mistakenly come to believe that our feelings of God's love is why we play the game, but that's not it. James reminds us that we don't just receive the rule of love in our lives as the end of God's generosity. James is warning his readers to not simply be hearers of God's word, to absorb these light and these gifts for our own flourishing, but that we have to then do what we've heard. There is this active quality to our faith beyond just thinking our way into heaven. To do what God asks us to do and to become what God asks us to be, that is the point of all this. Now, hearing is crucial in order to be faithful to God's calling. We have to hear where God is leading us. But we have to know that God is leading us somewhere, that there is movement called to our faith. James highlights that this is really the beginning of our journey, that our salvation is not something where now we just wait for heaven to claim us, but instead we seek to to offer all the good that God has given us into the world around us. And so our gathering together 
To hear a sermon and song and music and prayer is not meant to be the culmination of a long week, but it's meant to be the beginning of one. Now, for many of us, we come to church and we just sort of let out a sigh of like, whew, I'm glad that's over with. The, the, the previous week has been such a burden for us. But we can also offer all of that, that we have a clean slate now to move with what God has invested us with so that this next week transforms us and transforms the world around us. James is gonna say that this is the reason that we were born, that the word of truth was birthed within us, that we are no longer children birthed by desire and whatever, whatever momentary distractions come our way, but instead this eternal word of God that calls us to look beyond ourselves and see others around us. This is the word that becomes then the best hope for God's Righteousness is what James writes here, and sometimes that translation gets a little tricky because back then, righteousness and justice were almost used interchangeably. That what we're called to do is not just this moral rightness where we're better than everybody else. We've got it all figured out because I went to church yesterday, but instead that the word given to us is meant to move us to God's sense of justice, of making right the wrongs that have been plaguing the world around us. That there are people who are around us who are lonely and shouldn't be, who are poor and shouldn't be, who are hungry and shouldn't be. And it is through the word of God that we now find a movement that allows us to become a friend, to become like family, to become someone who is willing to break bread and share a meal. That the way that love rules the world is that we would listen to the rules of love that guide us and then see that love made real for people. Not just thoughts and prayers and feelings of being loved, but the tangible work of knowing that we are loved. And that means that the way that we would describe God is also the way that we would describe Christians. That if we become then this conduit for God's blessings to flow into the world, that when we imagine God as loving and gracious and quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and patient and welcoming, then we also are describing those who would follow God. Now, if you can't tell, playing the game is harder than it sounds. These rules often clash with our natural instinct. Just like in D&D, you're encouraged to do voices and characters and, you know, really kind of pretend. And for some of my friends that are outgoing and, you know, in the entertainment industry, that comes easy for them. And for me, it's just, I'm number crunching. We're rolling dice, we're counting numbers, that's all we're doing. Sometimes the rules clash against our natural instincts of just leave me alone, I'm going to do this thing by myself. And so James's writing here is intending to help people act with intention to know what they ought to do and then do the hard work of trying it out. And he gives concrete alternatives to this behavior that runs against the grain of these natural cultural impulses. These impulses that say it's my job to take care of my own, that my personal fulfillment and happiness is more important than yours. That as long as I've got mine, then I don't care what happens to anyone else. Often we're good at reacting, that someone cuts us off in traffic and before I even know what I'm saying, I'm saying things. Or someone hints at their disappointment in us and we cut them down even if it's just within our own mind. Or we feel threatened when someone gets a better grade or a better promotion or recognition and we plot our future how we can beat them next time or at least orchestrate their downfall. And so yes, it's hard to change and it's hard to act upon this rule of love, but James says that our move toward maturity requires us 
That if we want to, to learn how to be better at acting, it requires us to know who we are and to know the truth of who we are. Because he says some of us are foolish enough to look in the mirror every Sunday and hear God's word of announcement of welcome and forgiveness, hear God's call of love to our neighbors with generous affection, and then we walk away from that word as if we never heard it before. My hope and prayer is that we leave you know, with something deeper than the temperature of the coffee and the sweetness of the pastries, you know, that there's meant to be something that we see here that becomes unforgettable as we move into the week to come. That we see what God tells us we are and we know that that is true and we live into that truth. Because sometimes we look in the mirror and sometimes we come to church and we look in the mirror and we see and hear nothing but our flaws of everything that's wrong with us, of how we're no good, rotten sinners destined for hell except for Jesus who sort of passively says, well, I should probably be nice since I'm God and let him in. Our cynicism will tell us that all that stares back at us is flesh and blood and wrongness. And we fail to hear the truth that God is communicating to us in songs and prayers and sermons and scripture and all the history of tradition that says that we are made in the image of God, that we bear the very image within us and that God has created us and then recreates us in ways that can both love and be loved, just as God's will in heaven finds itself made real on earth, that we are people worthy of being loved and being cared for and being heard, being friends. And that as we hear this word, when we walk away from the mirror, we don't forget that. But instead, we were reminded through familiar story and song and prayer that God continues to love us even when we're not here in this room, believe it or not. This rhythm of looking in the mirror, of getting ready every day allows us to move through life when we don't have easy access to mirrors. Sometimes we wake up before everyone else and because we're you know, kind spouses and family members, we don't turn every light on, right? When we go into the bathroom. And so sometimes that means we can brush our teeth or shave our face without having the lights on and we can manage. It's not gonna look great, but we can manage because we've done it so often, right? We kind of know where the toothbrush is we don't have to flip on lights. Sometimes different color socks get put on, but beyond that, we're okay. We can do it as we practice these acts of love. As we get used to loving, we become better at it. That we can thrive without a constant reminder that God is with us because it becomes normal. We get used to God's presence. So James asked the question, do you want a religion? Do you want a faith that lasts beyond the fleeting moments of life that can sometimes draw our attention away from what we know to be true? Do you long to find a way to worship God regardless of whether every song is to your taste or the sermon was funny enough or compelling enough or short enough or whatever? James says that if we are going to be intentional about finding a faith that matters to us, that lasts beyond whatever momentary gathering we go to, is that we hear God and then we put that to work. That our longing for righteousness and holiness is going to end up taking us to people that many would count 
as worthless or not worth the trouble. For James, that meant care for widows and orphans, that religion pure and undefiled is this, not good preaching or good music, good hymns or nice buildings, but that the pure and undefiled religion is the care for the widow and the orphan. Did you know that we have both within our church? That we have widows and orphans here? And that they can be cared for? And beyond that, James was just describing those who are vulnerable in the community at the time. We have people in our community who are more vulnerable than widows and orphans. Not just within the body gathered here, but in our community at large. And that the best expression of our faith, the purest and most undefiled aspects of religion, is that we would care for those who are more vulnerable than anyone else. And caring for them often means that we're going to have to roll up our sleeves. James sees holiness as a willingness to get dirty. We often imagine the righteousness and purity of God is that I'm untouched by the filth that exists out there. I stand literally above the rest of you. But instead, what he sees is that we're willing to get low. We're willing to talk and touch and be among those who have the hardest of existence. That the purest form of our faith is not that we have a complete and accurate understanding of the Bible or that we know how to hit every note perfectly, but instead that often our richest worship experiences come after a week of serving others, of listening and learning and working together to see how God's light shines beyond this place and into the world. So kind of okay sermons don't really matter much after that. Each of us have opportunities to do that very thing this week. Maybe for a widow or an orphan or others who have been forgotten and overlooked. I don't know what that looks like for you. That's part of the adventure that we find ourselves on when we move into following God, is that God knows who will intersect our path this week. And so my hope is that we would let love rule our lives in a way that it would transform our faith into this pure source of light for all, that we would listen to God's voice and hear God's call and raise our hand and say, here I am, Lord. Amen. Amen.